As Bible students of prophecy, we know this morning that the end is very, very near. When Jesus will return to this earth in majesty and in glory. What a fitting song. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come? You see, just before he comes in glory, there must take place a judgment of both the dead and the living. For when Christ appears, he will come with his reward, which has been rendered at the conclusion of the judgment. Therefore, since we know that Jesus is coming soon and is very eminent, as the scripture would say, even at the door, the investigative judgment must and now is taking place and is about to conclude. Thus my subject this morning, judgment and glory. Are we ready? I have a text this morning, Revelations 22, verse 11 and 12, which frankly tells us that when the judgment is concluded, there will be no more change, and that immediately Christ comes with a reward. Revelations 22, beginning with verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. For behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. For many, many years, my favorite subject has been the glorious second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The unspeakable joy that we are going to experience when we see him in the clouds. What a moment to look into that face of love of a man who died in my place and in your place. It's going to be a thrilling experience, for you remember the scripture says, greater love hath no man than this, than what? That a man lay down his life for his friends. And I want to tell you this morning, the best friend you've ever had or will ever have in this world is Jesus. And he's coming soon coming in the clouds with angels to bring the reward. That reward is to destroy the wicked and to save the saints. Now just think of the excitement when that takes place, when we are reunited with loved ones who have been taken from us. Can you envision it this morning? Mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, grandparents, and children, and I expose the most touching of all. Can you see those angels in their arms carrying little babes and once again placing them in their mother's arms? 
to be forever with them. What a touching experience. How beautiful it is to us. But I must tell you that I believe the most thrilling moment of all is when we look into the face of Jesus. That is the one when we see his love, his purity, his majesty, his power, his glory of his holiness. I don't think our minds can comprehend, I don't, I don't think I can find words to adequately describe what inspiration tells us will happen because when we see it, when we see that face of Jesus and we recognize how holy he is, we who were sinners, who have been in the depths of sin in our lives, we are going to cry out, who shall be able to stand before him? And we are told that everything in this earth will come to a standstill. The angels will stop their singing. The quietness you can feel as Jesus stands up on that throne of angels and says, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, it's going to be such a, a thrilling moment for us that can you conceive what it's going to be like when we break forth in a shout of triumph and join the angels in everlasting praise to him who has made this possible? What a moment that will be. You know, the assurance of the soon coming Savior should fill our hearts with courage this morning. We should be praising his name for his soon coming but I have a confession to make this morning about his coming. I have some mixed feelings. In fact, I've sort of changed my feelings. Oh, I still believe in everything I've just told you. I still believe every word and I still want to see him. But as I have studied deeply into what Jesus tells us is going to happen before he comes, I am amazed and I am somehow bewildered as I consider the most terrible time of trouble that we are going to pass through. So dreadful that no language can describe it. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. <clears throat> the Bible puts it in these words, a time of trouble such as never was. And in the book Our Father Cares, page 323, Ellen White says, we shall need an experience which we do not now possess, which many are too indolent to obtain. And then comes these drastic words. It is often the case <clears throat> that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis just before us. It's going to be greater than you can imagine. I could spend the rest of our time this morning reading paragraph after paragraph of what is coming, but I haven't the time, but I want to put it in a few words that I have taken from inspiration. It will be a time of global famine. Now, think of these things. There will be pestilences <clears throat> of such a nature that whole cities will not have one person alive in them. 
Can you conceive of what's going to happen? There will be wars, terrible wars. <clears throat> there will be terrifying catastrophes. There will also be unbelievable destruction, unimaginable crime, unspeakable atrocities. And then if you will join that with the ideas and with the fact that we will be facing persecutions so stringent that you cannot buy nor can you sell, bringing hunger and expulsion from our homes. Do you know what it is when you have no place to go? And then we find that we will have to flee to solitary places and hide as animals. Picture all this together now. And at the same time, there will be the existing judgments of God which are falling upon the world. And we shall also witness great cities, we are told, that will be destroyed before our very eyes as Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. I don't think you and I have any idea of what is just ahead of us. And so now I think you are beginning to realize why I have come to the point that maybe, just maybe, it would be a great blessing to fall asleep with Jesus during this coming time of trouble. After all, death with Jesus is but a sleep. It's but a moment of time. And you will not have to <clears throat> You will not have to give up the fact that you will see the second coming because Ellen White has revealed to us that everyone who dies in the three angels' message will be brought up in a special resurrection, not the general resurrection, a special resurrection so that we can see Jesus comes. This will happen just before he comes. And so perhaps you will not uh, feel that I have done something I shouldn't do to express my inner feelings this morning, that maybe it will be a wonderful thing if God takes some of us in sleep during the terrible days that are just ahead. Would to God that our ministry today were informing our people and preaching about it and arousing us to get ready for what's coming. I wish that our magazines were filled with these things that are happening, for we need a mighty revival of obedience and righteousness that will prepare us to be ready for the conclusion of the judgment and the glory of God that will follow. For unless we pass the examination of the judgment, we shall suffer the wrath of God. <clears throat> and let me tell you frankly, this will not be a debatable issue. There will be no change in any character when in the sanctuary above, in that great day of atonement, when it comes to an end.
we will be ready or we will not be ready. And so we should be afflicting our souls today. <clears throat> we should allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and to make certain that every sin is confessed and then I'm going to give these words and to stop sinning. As long as I am your pastor, I cannot keep from mentioning this over and over because the great center of the conflict between righteousness and evil, between the devil and the Lord, is over sin. This is the issue. And if we're going to go to heaven, there must be no more sin. When will we get ready? To make a little matter more serious this morning, I want to tell you that it's later than you think. And I want to bring this to you in a double application. We are living on borrowed time. Many of us here this morning have already passed that proverbial time limit that God gave at the flood of threescore and ten. And I, this morning, join the many of you who are well over 70 years of age, and we are living on borrowed time. Secondly, in a special sense, every man, woman, and child in this audience this morning, you are living on borrowed time. Do you remember the experience of Israel when it was about to enter Cana? There came a time when there were just 11 days of travel and they could have been out of the wilderness, they could have been in Cana. And their hearts were filled with joy and an anticipation and then God gave them a test. And you know what happened? They had to remain on borrowed time for 40 years because they failed. They could not enter the Cana because of their sin at Kadesh. In Selected Messages 1, page 68, I read, God did not design that his people Israel should wander for 40 years in the wilderness. He promised to lead them directly to the land of Cana and establish them there as a holy, healthy, and happy people. But those to whom it was to be preached went not in because of unbelief. Their hearts were filled with murmuring, rebellion, and hatred, and God could not fulfill his covenant with them. And then comes these drastic words. For 40 years did unbelief and murmuring and rebellion shut out Israel. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel. Do you see what we're coming to as I bring this to you this morning? Today we have unbelief, we have worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the people of God. And this is why we are not in heaven. Consider this parable, this parallel. In 1844, God developed a faithful few 
which he called his remnant. And he wanted them, after the whole world had been alerted to get ready for the second coming, to preach the three angels' message with such power that he could come. But we are told that in the 1850s and the 1860s that the church developed a Laodicean condition which made it impossible for God to come. Let me read this to you in Spirit of Prophecy, volume 4, page 291. If all who had labored unitedly in the work in 1844 had received the third angel's message and proclaimed it with the power of the Holy Spirit, a flood of light would have been shed upon the world. Years ago, the inhabitants of the earth would have been warned, the closing work completed, and Christ would have come for the redemption of his people. And that was written in 1884. Years before, he would have come. And so the church failed to do what God wanted to do. But that's not all. We find there was a second time that the church failed. He had sent the showers of the latter rain. The loud cry, we are told, had commenced. But the people were involved in questions of theology and church procedure. God was ready, but the church was not ready. Have you kind of in your mind comprehended how far along God was? You know that there must be a Sunday law before he comes. And did you know that back in 1880, a national Sunday law was almost passed by the Congress of the United States, which would have been the final test? Did you know that? In Review and Herald, November 22, the loud cry of the third angel had already begun in the revelation of the righteousness of Christ and the sin-pardoning Redeemer. This is the beginning of the light of the angel whose glory was to enlighten the whole earth. But sad to say, the church failed again. It was not ready. Unbelief and unconsecration <clears throat> I'm reading from Review and Herald, March 12, 1890. For nearly two years, we have been urging the people to come up and accept the light and the truth of the righteousness of Christ. But they do not know whether to come and take hold of the precious truth. They do not let the Savior in. What a tragedy! Sister White, as you read from her, she was almost in her heart felt that she was abandoned in her appeals that she were giving. In Manuscript 9, 1888, in many hearts the message finds no response. In some hearts they arouse a determined resistance like the resistance that the work of Christ aroused in the hearts of the Jews when he was here on earth. Can you conceive of it? I have been talking and pleading, but it does not seem to make any difference. Still she hoped and still she worked that God's people would repent. Finally, in 1892, she wrote these words in Testimonies to Ministers 89. 
the Spirit of God has been insulted. In 1896, finally, she said that the latter rain had been withdrawn. Think how near the church was. Why didn't it go forward? And then she wrote in 1896, continuing, Satan has succeeded in shutting away from the people in a great measure the special power of the Holy Spirit. And so again, the second time, God was ready, but the church was not. Then ten years later came the third opportunity. In 1901, a third opportunity begun and was missed. There was a general conference session, and at that time a constitution was written up changing the format of our work. No longer were we to call the leader of our work in the general conference a president. He was to be called only a chairman. Great changes was made. At that time, the union conferences were installed. Sister White saw a new program developing in which the latter rain began to be poured out as God's appointed opportunities for giving the early and the latter rain testimonies to ministers 508. And she was encouraged and she felt now the Lord is going to come soon. The church is going to get ready. But God was disappointed again the third time. In a letter she wrote, December 7, we may have to remain here in this world because of insubordination many more years as did the children of Israel. And for Christ's sake, his people should not add sin to sin by charging God with the consequences of their own wrong course of action. It was the church that was not ready, not God. And God wanted to show Ellen White what could have happened, and he gave her a vision. And in this vision, she became very excited. I wish I had time to read it. But she saw the deep working of the Holy Spirit upon the general conference session of 1903. She saw leader after leader getting up and testifying and revealing his condition of sinfulness and asking forgiveness before God and to one another. And she saw a oneness and she saw the power of Pentecost being poured out as never before. And she saw rejoicing among the people, an experience that she had never seen in the church in all of her lifetime. And she grabbed a pen and she was going to write it down. Oh, this has finally arrived when the angel said these words. This might have been. And she concluded, what I had witnessed was not a reality. In a letter she wrote in 1903, the result of the last general conference has been the greatest, the most terrible sorrow of my life for no change was made. And she said, because of this, the Alpha, that great apostasy would come. And it was just a few years. You remember 
Well, I remember every time I go in the grocery store and I walk down where all those cereals are and I see J. Kellogg. Do you know that this church once was the leader in health program of the world? And Kellogg was the one that developed the health message to the place where he was putting the food into the hands of the people. But because the church had failed, apostasy came in and Kellogg defected with other brethren in pantheism, coming again once more in the New Age religion, which we see all about us today. And Sister White not only told that the Alpha would come, but she said before Christ would come, there would be the Omega. Another great apostasy. In early writings, February 24, 1915, the year that she died, the year I was born, she wrote, I am charged to tell our people that some do not realize that the devil has device after device to carry us away and invent ways to make sinners out of saints. And then she went on to tell what was coming. And I am led to believe today in my study that the Omega is now upon us in the new theology. And it all developed back when our church leaders wanted to be like the other churches of the world and they wanted to impress the evangelicals that we were a part of their program. And so they skirted around the truth of our historic doctrines and they wrote them up in a fuzzy manner and they wrote a book, Question and Doctrines, and the evangelicals were led to believe that the church of God had changed. But I want to tell you, God's church never changes. Never. Our God is the same yesterday and today and forever. It was at this point that Elder M.L. Andreasen, a godly man, I thank God that I had a time of short study under him. He was a straight thinker. He was strenuously objecting to any change in the cardinal doctrines. Thank God today the book which we know of as Question and Doctrines is no longer being published, but because the church leadership led out as it did, we now have a new theology that is leading thousands and hundreds of thousands into a new theology which is contrary to what God says in the Bible. Why is he waiting again? Because the church is not ready. He wants to come. We are living on borrowed time. In the General Conference Bulletin of March 30, 1903, Ellen White wrote, I know that if the people of God had preserved a living connection with him, if they had obeyed his word, they would today be in heavenly Cana. I want to tell you how long are we going to keep God from coming. God is not to blame. It is the church. 
There are multitudes today that want to hear the three angels' message. They are praying every night. And the church needs to be on fire in telling these great truths of the three angels' messages. I was really interested this week to receive from the conference. The president was so excited of our conference that one of our evangelists had gone into Sweet Home and something that hadn't happened for years, 50 people were brought into the church and baptized. And I found that it was through the old method of preaching the prophecies, warning the people that Jesus was coming soon. When will this church arise and do the work that God wants us to do? How long will we be asleep? Why don't we awaken? God is calling for the laity, as we saw this picture this morning in our Sabbath school, of the mission fields. You saw laymen, many of them, preaching and going out. You saw even the youth, youth preachers, child preachers, preaching this gospel. I want to tell you this work is going to finish. Why is it in North America we are so asleep when around the world it is going like fire? We are asleep. There is a lethargy that is coming upon us. And let me tell you, my friend, this time God is not going to wait any longer. You can sense it in the air. You can see things happening in our nation and in the world. Everywhere, even the people that are not in the church are saying something is going to happen. Must I share with you, I had a telephone call from a source yesterday of which has never failed to tell the truth. Do you know that things are happening in America that we don't realize? Did you know that in America, on our soil, there are 250 to 300,000 troops of the United Nations who are not American citizens that are on our soil? Why are they there? Are we getting ready for something in America? I want to tell you, as I, I wish I had time to bring to your attention the things that are happening all around us. The world is getting ready for something. This is a time when soon the last great test will break forth upon us. In Bible Commentary 7, 976, we are going to be tested by the image of the beast. The Lord has shown me clearly that the image of the beast will be formed before probation closes. For it is to be the great test for the people of God by which their eternal destiny will be decided. What are we doing? Oh, what an obligation there is before us to get on our knees, to be studying our Bibles and praying for the Holy Spirit to reveal in us anything that needs to be taken care of and to follow the example of our Lord. You remember what that example is? 1 Peter 2.21 Forever hereunto were ye called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And what was it? Who did no sin? 
I want to tell you, we must come to that experience. We must be praying on our knees for God to give us that kind of an experience. We need to duplicate it in our lives. For in the book, Early Writings, page 71, she said, I saw that none could share in the refreshing, and that's what's going to make it possible unless they obtain the victory over every besetment. And so we need to be perfecting Christian characters. We need to cooperate with our God. The trouble is many of us are, are aiming too low. We need to reach at the top. Reach for the power of God. Reach for that mighty power, the omnipotent power, that can do anything and in our lives can give us the victory we need. We remember those words, unto him that is able to keep you from sinning. That's what it means. And so we need this experience in our lives. Let us today, somehow, in the hours that come in this next week, determine to conquer sin in our lives by the power of God. We can't do it ourselves. Allow the Holy Spirit in the investigative judgment to finish the work in our lives that not only will we be ready for the reward, but we can see the glory of Jesus in his soon coming. Remember our scripture, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. For behold, I come quickly. Loving Father, God help us to understand what's happening today. Somehow, Lord, may the Holy Spirit help us to comprehend in the happenings of this world that your coming is so soon that the judgment day is about to conclude. God help us to prepare. Help us to be ready that when that moment comes we will hear the words, well done. Clothe us, God, in your righteousness. Uplift us, Lord, with thy power. Keep us, Lord, and help us to come to that experience we will need to live in thy presence without anyone in the sanctuary to plead our cause. Come, Lord Jesus, may we be ready. Amen.